About the middle of the feast, Jesus went up into the temple and began teaching. The Jews therefore marveled, saying, How is it that this man has learning when he's never studied? So Jesus answered them, My teaching is not mine, but his who sent me. If anyone's will is to do God's will, he will know whether the teaching is from God or whether I'm speaking on my own authority. The one who speaks on his own authority seeks his own glory, but the one who seeks the glory of him who sent him is true, and in him there is no falsehood. Those are verses 14 to 18 of John 6. You're listening to Faith Seeking Understanding, and I'm John Green, your host. Thanks for being along today. We're going to look at the Pharisees today. And that passage, I chose it largely because that would have been a Pharisaical objection to Jesus. And it's not only an objection to Jesus, but if you skip over to Acts 4, you'll see Peter and John healed the, the man at the beautiful gate, and they're asked by what name that they healed him, and they said, Jesus of Nazareth. And it gets them upset, and then they, they acknowledge that these are unlearned men. But the problem is we can't fight with these unlearned men in, the, in this instance because this isn't about what they've learned. They learned something from Jesus, and they observed that they, that he had, be, they had been with Jesus. They, they also knew Jesus wasn't, quote, learned because he hadn't been to any of their rabbinic schools. And so that they have to figure out what in the world is happening, first with Jesus, in his teaching, which they marvel at everywhere he goes. They marvel at his teaching because it comes with authority, which is exactly what he speaks of here. And then with these men, these unlearned men— they schooled them. <laughs> Those unlearned men schooled the Sanhedrin. They schooled the best scholars in the land. And, and they know they're unlearned. But what they learned, they learned from this Jesus that they were with, the one that was crucified, the one that well, God raised from the dead. And so they, they, they're struggling with this because learning was so highly prized and still is among Jews. There, there are more Nobel Prizes and Nobel laureates among the Jewish people than any other people group in the world. I mean, it's an amazing thing, but learning has always been greatly prized, and no more so than by the group that we know as the Pharisees. They took great pride in their learning, but, and that's not to say that, that there was no application to that, but they kind of picked and chose the things that they wanted to make application of. They were scrupulous about following certain parts of the law, but that, that's been true throughout Jewish history. It's true throughout Christian history, too. Unfortunately, we, we kind of pick and choose what it is we prefer to keep as well. And so with, with the Pharisees, you see them keeping things that, that Jesus says, you do well to do these things. However, you leave aside the weightier matters of the law. So you're scrupulous about tithing your mint, dill, and cumin, but then you don't give mercy. You, you worry about things like, is the guy there who's injured over there, is he bleeding? Is he dying? Because if he is, then I'm going to have to go on past him because I can't be defiled by that. And, and they, he says, what you don't understand is exactly what the law does mean, because they were incredibly um, uh, superior in their minds to the grass, vast majority of people. So that, that's how we're going to get at them. They're, they're not bad people, typically. They're, they, they want to keep the law, and they want to figure out how to apply it in the context they're living in when they're not in control of the land, when the Romans are in control. So how do we apply the law of God, the law of Moses, how do we apply that to living in the land under the control of somebody else? So they're doing what, well, evangelicals do or should be doing, and then same with Roman Catholics and others. How do we live in a society that's not a 
quote, Christian society in the sense that, that we're not in control from a Christian perspective. So it that's becomes the problem. And, and the thing is, is that they're the people Jesus has more conflicts with than anybody else, but then they would be because they're the religious people. And, and they, they want to know how he understands the law and why he transgresses against the law and yet claims to be something more than that. Well, what law is he transgressing? I mean, that's the, always the key thing. And what it typically is, it comes down to something that's not scriptural so much as it's a religion, a rabbinic interpretation. The oral law is applied. So, and the funny thing is, is that that it's not just the New Testament that that doesn't like the Pharisees. That they they were they were seen as hypocrites by a lot of people and not well liked. And that that can be true of Christians as well. So just I mean, I'm not picking here. But but the rabbinic literature in general is critical of them. The Talmud says there's seven categories of Pharisees and only the seventh of those categories is something that's laudable. He's a loving Pharisee who, like Abraham, loves God. He's admirable. So that that's the only one of the seven categories listed are there because it has to do with things like false humility. It has to do with like parading your deeds in front of uh, others. It, it has to do with people who go out of their way in such a way that it's publicly seen that they're keeping a law. There's That, that one's called the bruised Pharisee. He walks into a wall to keep from looking at a woman so that everybody can see, right? I mean, you know, you're not living your life. You're you're not celebrating creation in that way. And I'm not saying you should you should look longingly at women. I'm just saying it's ridiculous. And that's exactly what it is. The the Talmud sees them as sort of ridiculous figures at some level. But but the problem is, is then then how do we figure out who these people are and, and how do we deal with them and, and how did Jesus deal with them and why did he deal with them the way he did? And the, and the funny thing is, is that Judaism, the modern day Judaism, it is directly traceable to the Pharisees because they controlled the great rabbinic schools of the day at the time of Jesus under Herod. And so the, the interpretations and the way Judaism is lived out and the way that, that it's sorted out is pretty much all coming straight out of Pharisaism. They, they were committed to the validity of scriptures, but they held the oral Torah at the same level that they held um, the scriptures. And so in the Anglican world, the, the Anglican world says there's a three-legged stool there. There's scripture, tradition, and reason, those, those three things. But one of those legs, according to all the, the founders of Anglicanism, that leg of Scripture, it is the sturdiest of those legs. But the other two are, are important, but not at the same level that Scripture is. And so the, the traditions can be reinterpreted, they can be changed and used and all that kind of stuff, and wherever reason conflicts with Scripture, then we've got to go with Scripture. So it, it's not—it's it, a three-legged stool, but it's a funny-looking three-legged stool. It's one really big leg and two smaller legs that balance it. So the, the Pharisees, though, saw those two things as equal, the, the Scripture and the oral law, they considered to be equal, and they considered them to be equal because traditionally the belief was that both were given to Moses at Mount Sinai, and Moses wasn't supposed to make a distinction between the two, in spite of the fact that none of this stuff is written down. It's passed on through oral tradition down until the 2nd century A.D. when it's finally codified only because of the diaspora, and they wanted to make sure that Jews all over the world understood the, th- the law the same way. They were, the Pharisees were, were actually, they were progressive in some ways. They were open to reasonable change in the way things were applied and the way things were lived out. That doesn't mean that they were scripture deniers or questioners or anything like that. No, those things were really important, but what they needed to do was apply the law in a different context 
to, than than what was intended with they were in the land. So that's the the big issue. And so uh, along the way, what happened was is that they they were called the Pharisees, which kind of means divide or separate. So they were kind of the separated ones. But but who are they separated from? Well, we get an indication of that in Scripture because the way they look down on the uneducated people, and, and, and the reason they looked down on them was because their illiteracy impeded careful fidelity to the religious duties, such as concerning tithes and cleanliness and all that kind of stuff. These people didn't scrupulously study the, the, the Word and the law, and they didn't then know how to apply it because they were uneducated people, and you see it in different places where they'll say that about people, and they see themselves as superior to that because they're keeping the law at a different level. It's not just that they have great learning, it's that their learning allows them to apply the law and follow God's law in ways that you can't if you don't truly understand the law. So they're separated from their own people at some level. Now there's there's another group that's separated from the people as well, and that's the Essenes, and we're going to talk about them a little bit tomorrow. But but the Essenes truly separated themselves. They they went out into the wilderness over the, the issue of the priests that we talked about a couple of you know several days ago. But but it's probable that the Sadducees are the ones who gave them the name the Pharisees. It's highly unlikely they chose it for themselves because it it, it it's it's emphasizing their superiority to other people, and they wouldn't have wanted that because they actually, the people followed them. They were the ones who were really looked up to uh, in, in Judaism, not the Sadducees, but the, these people. And so probably what happens is, is that initially they were called the sages, and then over time it, they became, well, they became called the Pharisees, and they embraced that term. And we know they embraced that term because Paul refers to himself as Pharisee. So they developed out of this larger faithful group of Jews who opposed Hellenization. So like the, the, the Maccabees, those people would have been Pharisees. And so they, along the way, they, they, came, they came apart from everybody else. And they, the difference between the Pharisees and the Essenes is the Pharisees stayed behind and decided to argue their case as opposed to leaving the field and deciding that, it, that it's so corrupt we can't even stay and be part of it. So both parties, though, really pretty much disappear by the time of the uh, after the temple is destroyed. That both parties, the Pharisees and Sadducees, more or less just disappear at that point. But they're really important in Jesus' day, very important in Jesus' day. So that that the interesting thing is is that you could say, well, okay, so is it a monolithic group of people who who have the same beliefs and understandings of all things? And the answer is that is no. There were two great rabbinic schools at the time. You saw a little bit of this when we were talking about the Arab um, yesterday that the Sadducees completely objected to. Remember with the Arab, that's the thing where where you can't carry something from from one domain to another. You can't in a domain is a public domain, a private domain, a neutral domain, uh, or a semi-public domain. So, it, but but my domain, my public domain. I don't want to get into Kramer from Seinfeld much here. Um, but we can go from I can't go f- carrying something from my domain, my home, to my neighbor's home. Unless we create this Arab, whereby everything within the Arab, that region, area, whatever, it's a smallish kind of an area, um, it can, be, can be created and make it one domain, all-encompassing. And so the Sadducees said no to that. And remember, there were two options that you could follow. One was it, the, the Arab, or the public domain, 
for the street. In other words, it could be 16. It had to be at least 16 cubits wide to be a public domain. So that would be about 24 feet on, on the low end. Um, and, and But there was a second opinion. It, it had to be that distance, but it also had to have less than 600,000 people passing through it every single day. And that's still true today, that there still are Arabs created in Jewish settlements all over the world. And so the, the, that shows you the distinction within Pharisaic Judaism between these two camps. And those at the time of Jesus, actually, are the camps of Hillel and Shammai. Those are two men, two rabbis, and they were they were the two great sages of the time. And, and so you were typically in one of those schools or the other. You could have a different rabbi, but those schools of thought the, the, of Rabbi Hillel and Rabbi Shammai were, were two distinct schools within Pharisaism. Shammai was known for being really scrupulous and strict, and Hillel was m- more humane and more lenient. And so that's the way that it goes. And, and along the way, not surprisingly, the, the, people, the school of Hillel, the more lenient one, usually prevailed because it's based in some sort of common sense about how to deal with actual life and what did God really intend. And so it went on the lenient, more lenient side of those kinds of things. And so when the Pharisees ask him questions about the law, one of the things they're trying to figure out about Jesus is, is he more influenced by the, the, the rulings of Shammai or by the rulings of Hillel? And so when they ask him these questions, they're trying to determine where are you coming from? Are you coming from this point or this point? But it's similar. Jesus' responses are always similar to like when Joshua is about to enter the land. Remember, he meets the commander of the Lord's army. And Joshua asks him, are you on your, our side or their side? And the commander of the Lord's army, who, who I believe is, a, it's a pre-incarnate um, theophany of Jesus. I, I believe it's him without revealing who he is, that, that the answer is, I'm on God's side. And that's kind of the way, the distinction that Jesus draws. And that's that in that passage that I read at the beginning, it's, I, I received my teaching and my learning from one place, from the Father. And, and my job is to come and glorify him. I teach on his authority. That's where the authority comes from. It comes from the getting it directly from the lawgiver. And so sometimes he would conflict with both schools. Sometimes it seemed more in line with one or the other, but then other times he would, Jesus would conflict with both schools. He didn't line up with either one of them because he wasn't taught by any of those. <clears throat> so they, they weren't huge as far as the number of people are concerned. You know, about 6,000 people or so. And remember I said a couple of days ago at the fall of uh, Jerusalem, there were about 600,000 Jews living in Jerusalem. So the 6,000, now they, were, they, weren't, they weren't all in Jerusalem, by the way. We, we see them occasionally in other places. But you're only talking about one one-hundredth of the population at best. And, and so there's, it's really not a huge group of people, but they had tremendous influence over the people because, because of their, their rabbinic um, control over the applications of the law. They were the people who were looked to to, to, to determine what's, what's okay here and what's not okay. They, they were like the zealots, but the zealots actually took it one step further and said, we're going to kill people. We're going to put people to death for transgression against the law or for saying anything against the law. That, that's a separate small sect there. And so there, there were two basic um, characteristics of the Pharisees with respect to the law, and that is their, their meticulous observance of obligations under the law for things like purity, which involves washing of hands. And, and man, you, you, you can't imagine the, the strictures on washing hands 
and how you wash your hands, how much water has to be used. You've got to remove rings and everything else in order that that water touches every single portion of your body. You, you've got to, to make sure that you're never being defiled by anything. And then it goes not just to hand washing, but to also the washing of, of um, produce, for instance. There's prescribed ways for doing all those kinds of things. So they, they were strict about that, and then for tithing. And and that's when Jesus says, you tithe mint, cumin, and dill. In other words, you look at the smallest little things in your house, and you tithe on those things. And and you do well to do that, he says. He commended the tithe. Don't let anybody tell you the tithe is not a New Testament principle. Jesus commended the tithe in a very strict way. And the other thing they did with the Sabbath observances, they were, they were deeply concerned that people not break Sabbath restrictions. That's why they stopped Jesus and asked him why his disciples are picking, plucking grain, rubbing it between their hands to get the grain out of the husk and eating it. It's the reason they want to know who told the blind man to go to the pool of Siloam and wash. It's the reason they want to know who told the, the man who had been at the pool for 38 years, who told you to get up and carry your bed because the carrying of the bed is a sin. And so we know that if they did that, then that man's a sinner. He's a transgressor against the law. So those are the kinds of things that they emphasized more than anything. And their, their interpretation of that comes from the oral law. And so they're holding their interpretation of it at exactly the same level as the law itself. And Jesus says, maybe you've misinterpreted it. Let me tell you exactly how it ought to be interpreted. And it ought to be interpreted through a specific kind of lens. And that is the man was made the Sabbath. Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So the, the oral law here is, is, a, is a serious thing. They were considered the most interp- accurate interpreters of the law. It was the heart of their faith was their dedication to the law. But the problem is it, it explained that they had a contempt for the people of the land who weren't as scrupulous about these things as they were. They thought themselves to be the only Jews, the only true Jews, the, the ones who would probably reign in eternity. Well, that attitude can, can easily creep into Christianity as well. I see it all the time. So the, the, the interesting thing was is that, that they were scrupulous about how they did this too. They weren't willy-nilly um, doing these interpretations. There, that, there, there are certain kinds of things that, that were requirements for that, for that to be validated. One of those is, is that, that they had to be in accordance with Scripture. They had to have been customary for some time. They had to be associated with some recognized authority, and they had to be accepted by the majority of the sages. So they're looking at Scripture and tradition whenever they're trying to figure out, okay, so if you bring something new, then it's got to be evaluated in light of those requirements, in line with Scripture, customary for some time, had to be associated with recognized authority and accepted by the majority of the sages. So that should give you an idea. Whenever you read, when they confront Jesus about something, that's the lens that they're looking at. They're looking through those four things to see if Jesus' teaching is okay. If it's, it can be new, but it better line up with something in the past. And, and, and the past has great preference over the present. So a, a scholar today who says something that, that is out of line with what the sages had said before, you're just going to dismiss that guy. You're not even going to listen to him. He doesn't have any authority at all. But, but the, it's got to fit with everything that's come before. So you've got to establish those traditions and then move on. And Paul was taught in that way. 
So the legalism became the important thing. And, and what they did, the way they did it, was they would build a fence around the law. And, and you can see that with, with Eve, actually, in the garden, when the serpent tempts her and asks her, did God really say that if you eat of this, then you will die? And she said, we're not supposed to eat it, nor are we supposed to touch it. And that was kind of the rabbinic principle, that, that we got to draw a bigger fence around this. If it says don't do this, then we got to make really sure that nobody has an opportunity to do that. So we'll make the fence around that bigger. And it's, not, it's, it's, it's motivated by, by a desire to see the people be righteous and not accidentally sin. So you expand the restriction around it to make sure that nobody does it accidentally. And so that's that's it. And that's why Jesus will say that you tie up all these burdens on people without lifting a finger to carry them yourself. And that's why he calls them hypocrites, because they're, they're, they're making life harder for the people, not easier for the people. Edersheim, Alfred Edersheim, who, who was a Jew who became Christian, he wrote multiple books, not, not the least of which is called The Life and Times of Jesus the Messiah. He says that the rabbinic literature is way more harsh against the Pharisees than the, the New Testament itself is. It's, it's interesting. They, they had good motives in most ways, but but they considered themselves to be more learned than everybody else. And so what they did was, be, if everybody could learn what we learned, then we wouldn't have to worry so much about drawing these fences broader and broader around the law. No, but because the people are unlearned, we have to make bigger fences for them. You know, and that's probably the motivation for Adam, since Adam got the word from God. He, he's the one who built the fence that said, we can't even touch this thing. And that's the motive for most of the Pharisees. But the problem is that it, that it becomes um, th- them with a feeling of superiority to these people. So they're going to treat them like children. The, the, the thing that's the remedy for that is Pentecost, the outpouring of the Holy Spirit on all people. And thank God for that, because for a long, long time, the church had a hegemony over the word because it was only available in Latin and most people couldn't read Latin. So they had the spirit, though. And you do too. If you're following Jesus, then you have the Spirit, and you can know how God wants you to apply these things in your life. Doesn't mean we don't need teachers. Doesn't mean we don't need the church. Doesn't mean we don't need tradition. No, we need all those things. But then at the end of the day, then then the Spirit that, that goes along with that teaches us how to live.